Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all other kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all other kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, 
fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nice chap, Nebuchadnezzar, wasn't he? Let's pray. It's an amazing story, Lord, and we pray that you will help us to be as faithful as three, these three heroes were. Whatever test you put before us, may we be found to be those who would worship only you and trust only you and witness only to you and help us to face our fiery furnaces, whatever they may be. For Christ's sake, amen. I suppose there are a few better known Old Testament stories than this one. Most of us, I expect, have drawn a picture at some stage in Sunday school of the fiery furnace and the mysterious fourth man. Much scholarly ink has been, been spilt seeking to identify who the fourth man uh, is. Sometimes he is, as here in the New International Version, which was on the screen, translated as son of the gods. And sometimes, as in the authorised version, for instance, he is translated as the Son of God. More of that later. You'll recall, if you were here last week, that we we left Nebuchadnezzar at the end of chapter 2, acknowledging the supremacy of Daniel's God. And he promoted Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even higher in the Babylonian civil service. They had done well and earned the approval of the king. But it's not long before the theme of the book of Daniel re-emerges. And the theme is the conflict between true and false religion. It's at the heart of almost every chapter. And this story in chapter 3 really is as clear an explanation of why there is a conflict between different religions as any in the Bible. It's, of course, highly relevant to us today, not least in a 
a week, then we are going to war, at least in part because of religion. The one true creator God longs that all men and women will acknowledge him as Lord and worship and enjoy him forever. The one true creator God. Uniquely in creation, human beings are created to bear the image of the one true God. And in our services, as we have already, we confess that we have marred that image through sin and rebellion. In true religion, human beings worship their creator. In false religion, they worship a creature. They worship something made rather than the creator. And they do this because they are jealous of God and they want to steal his place. That is the heart of sin. We set ourselves up in place of God. We make ourselves gods. In this case, a very dramatic example of it, the king whose unpredictable violence would surely rank him alongside the worst despots of the last century, Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, etc. Nebuchadnezzar requires that all the great and good, supposedly good, of Babylon bow down at a statue that he has made and set up in the Valley of Dura. The Valley of Dura was a vast natural amphitheater where thousands could gather and wonder at Nebuchadnezzar's great greatness. The statue, the gold statue, was almost certainly an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Notice the religious aspect of what went on. There was an assembly. There was music, uh, much repeated. The size of the band caused, I noticed, a little ripple of laughter. There was submission and worship. It's all total nonsense, of course. How, of course, how can this obviously man-made image be in any sense worthy of worship. And yet, the highly educated intelligentsia of Babylon, the assembled international community, no doubt including many of the Jewish exiles, joined in with this absurd public spectacle and ritual. Why? Of course, fear is a factor. The fiery furnace was very hot. But there's a great attraction in false religion, a great attraction in superstition rather than true faith. Crossing your fingers or touching wood requires no moral adjustment to your life. After all, it's religion without change. There is in humanity a tendency to worship. We seem to have a need to worship uniquely in creation. How much easier, though, to worship a God who makes no demands on us at all. Religion is used by men and women to increase their power over others. That was what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do here, and that is what we see happening in the world today. Religion is used as a means of people exercising power over other people. Daniel's three friends see through it all. They can see the nonsense of it. And they're not prepared to compromise their faith for this crass nonsense, whatever the cost. And Paul quoted verses 17 and 18 at the beginning. They're key to the whole chapter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They were ready to live or die 
whatever, but they would not bow down before a false god. They knew blasphemy when they saw it. Do we as clearly see blasphemy in our generation as they did? And what a cost they were prepared to pay. Where, I wonder, would our breaking point be? Where would your breaking point be? Where would mine be? Perhaps like me, you've been deeply touched by the stories of our suffering brothers and sisters in Iraq and Syria. Maybe you got this email this week from the Schaefer Foundation in Switzerland. Let me quote just a little bit of it. It begins this. Many of you will have seen this. This is so sad. A friend just got a text message from her brother asking her to shower him and his parish in prayer. He is part of a mission, and ISIS has taken over the, t- the town they are in today. He said ISIS is systematically going house to house to all the Christians and asking the children to denounce Jesus. He said so far not one child has, and so far all have consequently been killed, but not the parents. The United Nations has withdrawn, and the missionaries are on their own. They are determined to stick it out for the sake of the families, even if it means their own deaths. He is very afraid. He has no idea how to even begin ministering to these families who have seen their children martyred. Yet he says he knows God has called him for some reason to be his voice and hands at this place at this time. Even so, he is begging prayers for his courage to live out his vocation in such dire circumstances and, like the children, accept martyrdom if he is called to do so. She asked me to ask everyone we know to please pray for them. These brave parents instilled such a fervent faith in their children that they chose martyrdom. Please surround them in their loss with your prayers for hope and perseverance. Please pray sincerely for the deliverance of the people of northern Iraq from the terrible advancement of ISIS and its extreme Islamic goals for mass conversion or death for Christians across this region. They are in a fiery furnace. They are in a fiery furnace. What enables Christians in such appalling circumstances to stay stay faithful? What enabled Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to face the seven times heated up furnace rather than backslide and recant? What enabled Latimer and Ridley in our own city in the 16th century to face the fire rather than deny deny the truth of the gospel? What will sustain us when the world presses us into its mould, subtly seduces us from Christ or blatantly attacks us? To some extent, I think Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had been prepared by what they had experienced in chapter 1. You will recall there that they took a stand for God in a relatively small matter. I mean, anything that you defied Nebuchadnezzar with was dangerous. They refused to eat the food from the royal table, which they considered defiled. It was relatively a small issue. If we are faithful in small matters, then we will be training ourselves to be faithful when a very great test comes, as it did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It may be as simple a thing as not joining in the office banter or gossip or dodgy jokes. It might be a bigger thing, like opting out of a promotion that requires ethical compromise. It might be saying no to an intimate friendship. It might mean speaking quietly to someone who uses the name of Jesus as a swear word continually. You can think of numerous examples of where we need sometimes to take a stand 
which is not popular, in a relatively small thing. Being found a faithful disciple in relatively small matters might prepare us for the moment when our faith is really tested. What might really test our faith in the 21st century? What does test the faith of our church family? Well, I thought of a few things that have tested people's faith while I've been vicar of St. Andrew's. Unanswered prayer, for instance. Bereavement. Broken relationships. Illness. Financial disaster. Losing a job, for instance. And sometimes, though of course not so much here, although sometimes experienced by our mission partners, outright persecution. Even if he does not save us, they say, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if he does not save us, even if he does not heal us, even if he does not answer our prayers, even if the financial disaster continues, even if the person we love dies, even if the relationship that I long for breaks up, I will not abandon my God. That is what they are saying. You see, how can an image of gold be God? How can what happens to you or me, or indeed what happens to those that we love, or even what happens to the heroic children of Iraq, how can that make any difference to the truth on which we have set our faith? Either God is the creator and king of the whole world, worthy of our worship, or he is not. Our circumstances can't change the truth of that. And because of Jesus, we know that God is the creator and king of the whole earth. This story in Daniel 3 has a wonderful ending. It has a gospel ending, good news ending. You see, true religion, the religion of the Bible, will always have, will always have a supernatural element to it. It will, we worship the true God, not a man-made, natural, non-supernatural image. False religion is non-supernatural, unless, of course, it's uh, occultish. Most false religion is man-centered, non-supernatural. But we worship a true God who is supernatural and who intervenes in human affairs, has dramatically intervened in human history. In our affairs, he does not always intervene dramatically, but he is always faithful to his covenant promise I will never leave you or forsake you. We can, of course, forsake him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have fallen down and worshipped the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, but they chose not to. A vast number of the Jews in Babylon presumably did, but not our three heroes. And there, In the suffering, there in the flames, is a fourth person. That is the good news. I've always believed him to be the pre-incarnate son of God, Jesus himself. But perhaps it was a protecting angelic presence, as I say. Much discussion and scholarship devoted to it. We just don't know. There's much debate. But what we do know, what we do know from the story is that God saved them just as they believed he could, even though they did not know if he would. That's the point of the story. He did save them, and they trusted that he could, even though they did not know if he would. And the words of Isaiah 43, 
verse 2, dramatically came true. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. As one commentator on this wonderful story said, fellowship with Christ in the furnace is better than life in a palace without him. Fellowship with Christ in the furnace is better than life in a palace without him. Let's pray. Lord, we simply pray in a world where our hearts are breaking for our brothers and sisters, going through very comparable danger to our three heroes in this story, we pray that we, in the beauty and peace of this lovely city, would be found faithful as we face also genuine tests of our faith. Help us to be faithful and worship the one true creator God who is king of the whole universe, who has made himself known in our precious Lord Jesus. Amen.